welcome. You are listening to Hunting Pixels, the one and only official video game podcast of culture. Bob. Um, I had uh, hoped to get this out to you by uh, Halloween, um, and as it turns out, it's not going to be the case. We're going to do a very special episode um, dedicated to... Uh, you know, the spoopy times. Um, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I, I wanted to try to get this out before Halloween, but I just, I, I haven't, I just have not had a chance to do so. Um, so it's going to be here now. Uh, apologies on the, on the, the sort of delayed, uh, time. And, um, yeah, so, uh, for the holiday of Halloween, uh, my favorite holiday, uh, I wanted to do something a little, um, I guess special would be the word for it. Um, and, uh, I wanted to talk about horror, obviously. Um, so, uh, but I was, I was trying to think of ways to do this and, and, and make it, you know, a little bit different, you know, um, I didn't want to just come in here and, and give you guys like, uh, a rundown of like, um, this movie is excellent and, and whatnot. Um, no, I, I wanted to more so, uh, I, I, did, I also didn't want to do a top 10, right? Because the top 10, um, would be, uh, well, first of all, it'd be very hard. Like, I, I know what my my top two are, and I kind of know what my top five are, but those, those that, that second three, they, sw- they swap in and out in different places, uh, just depending on my mood, depending on the last time that I thought about them or saw them or what have you. Um, and, uh, y- you know, everyone does top tens. A- and uh, another thing is, like, uh, if I were to rank top ten movies, I hate to be old man yelling at clouds, but, like, movies were better back in the day. Uh, they just were. Um, so my top ten would have consisted a lot of movies that had come out before, you know, the year 2000. Um, maybe one would have breached the top 10, maybe. Um, and it would have been a lot of, uh, older stuff, um, on there primarily. Uh, also probably a lot of names that you've heard like a million times before. So, um, I was thinking of the best ways to do this and I came up with the idea that I would take 10 subgenres, um, and I would give you my number one pick, like my favorite within that subgenre. Um, so these aren't going to go in any particular order; like they're not ranked uh, by any means. Because um, uh, I am a I'm a big fan of anthology movies, uh, which actually, funnily enough, did not make uh, the list of ten subgenres, but. Um, like, I'm a big fan of anthology movies, so, like, uh, you know, my pick for, like, say, Creepshow would rank above someone else's pick for, uh, like, a zombie, because I don't like zombies as much, you know. Um, so, 
what we'll do uh, is I'll just kind of run through these um, real quick, and I'll give you guys a sense of what I think a good movie is, uh, especially when it comes to the horror genre, and also you know maybe give you some uh, places to start if you wanna if you wanna venture out. So uh, that's what we're gonna do right now. So I think the best place to start this uh, is going to be with something a little bit light and airy. Uh, I'm going to go with my top pick for a, um, excuse me, Achoo! oh gosh, that was wild. Um, okay, I'm going to go with my, my top pick for a horror comedy. And uh, this is going to be Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Uh, this is, uh, let me make sure I got the exact date right. I think this is 2010. And Dale, yes, 2010. Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Um, so Tucker and Dale is this uh, comedy that, um, I, I say it's a comedy, it's, it, has its moments of horror for sure, but it's it's mainly in the comedy uh, realm. Uh, but it is this uh, movie about these kind of like well-meaning hillbillies who kind of get mistaken for killers by this group of kind of like college students, and you know hijinks ensue. And a lot of what this movie does really really well is. It plays on misconceptions a lot, uh, which I think like the main theme of the movie is sort of like, um, I, I don't want to say misconceptions because I just used that word, but like it's, it's misunderstandings, I guess. And, and sort of like judging a book by its cover sort of thing. Um, it doesn't always work. Uh, there are definitely like, just for instance, the sort of like main, uh, like actual, uh, antagonist of the movie. Um, you kind of get from the very beginning that he's like a bad guy and that he's not like, I, it's not that he's not what he seems. It's that he's exactly what he seems. He immediately out, out the gate is kind of like, oh, okay, so he's a bad guy type thing. Um, yeah, but uh, it, it kind of plays on that a lot and and does a lot of like really funny and, and interesting things where like if, for instance, one of the scenes is you have uh, Tyler Labine. He goes up to the college kids. This is very early in the movie, so it's not really big spoilers. Uh, but he uh, goes up to the college kids and says, you know, you guys head into the lake and starts kind of like laughing off of the advice of his friend, uh, Tucker, and um, who's played by Alan Tudyk. They're both brilliant in this. Uh, Alan Tudyk especially is just... <laughs> Excuse me again. Gosh. Um, he, he's just, he's very funny. Uh, but he, he kind of tells Dale, um, played by Tyler Levine, uh, you know, 
this is what you need to do in order to be able to talk to people. You need to go over and smile and laugh. And so he walks up to the to the college kids and he has like a scythe in his hands and he walks up to them and says, are you going to the lake? And <laughs> starts laughing. And in the context of what the college kids are, are seeing, they're thinking to themselves like, oh my God, this guy's really creepy. He's going to kill us. He's, you know, kind of like being a creep or whatever. But in reality, it's just this poor guy who has very low self-confidence and he just wants to go over and kind of like talk to these kids. Um, and that's, that's what the movie really kind of like, uh, centers around. It's very, very funny. Um, I do think that there's a, a a little bit of a, um, uh, it, it doesn't, the horror bits, I'll put it this way. The horror bits don't necessarily work um, all that well because they're in service to the comedy. Uh, it, so in that way, it's kind of like a, uh, almost like a, a modern day Ghostbuster, uh, or Ghostbusters, sorry, uh, wherein like even the kind of scary stuff that happened in Ghostbusters, which that movie's not scary, but even the kind of like spoopy stuff uh, was in service of the comedy. Um, and that kind of works the same way here. And so it, it doesn't, it's more comedy horror than it is horror comedy. But the stuff that is in here really is fantastic. Like there's a scene with a wood chipper that is just like, it's very gory, but it's very funny. Um, yeah, I, I really like this movie a lot. Uh, I, th- I think that uh, even if you're, if you're not big into the horror genre, I think this would be an absolutely perfect way to um kind of like dip your toes into the water so to speak uh very very good stuff um the next one is uh i'm going to kind of put it out there because i think a lot of people uh do not like this genre uh, or subgenre i should say um and uh, that's going to be found footage. Um, this kind of really got the big start with the Blair Witch back in '99. Although technically it had had been around since the '80s with uh, Cannibal Holocaust, and I, it, even before that there were like inklings of it. Um, uh, but my pick for this was actually a movie that I watched uh, on Halloween this year. It was this year's release from Shutter of the VHS. VHS franchise, uh, VHS 85. Um, so all of these kind of take place in, um, uh, 1985. And the, the whole conceit behind the VHS franchise is kind of like that. This is a series of like found VHS tapes sort of thing. Um, or at least that was the conceit early on. It kind of has gotten away from that with the last two instances very specifically kind of being like one tape with like videos kind of laid over top of it. So like the framing narrative in this one is this sort of documentary about the scientists who are studying a shapeshifter uh, that they um, they call Rory and uh it kind of interludes 
between the segments every now and then. And uh, this actually has a, a really interesting thing because it um, actually has two segments that, like, I don't want to say piggyback off of one another, but, like, they, they it wraps back around. It's like a two-part segment. Um, but, yeah, uh, every one of these really, 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 really worked for me in ways that, like, um, I, I have to be honest with you. I, I think that a lot of horror movies just aren't very scary anymore because the things that they portray, they don't necessarily make for scary content, if that makes sense. Like, um, depending on how, what you believe religiously, like possession movies to me don't really scare me anymore because I, I don't know that like I, I necessarily believe in that. And I think that the idea of the possession stuff is scary in the way that like werewolf movies are scary, where it's a loss of who you are. I think that idea is scary, but possession movies have been so played out that like, I, I don't know that like they scare me anymore and stuff. You know, same thing with vampires, just all of that stuff. Um, found footage to an extent, I feel like, is that way. But, like, this uh, this was the first time in a very long time that I saw stuff that, like, actually I was like, oh, this is not, like, a fun horror movie. This is, like, genuinely unsettling stuff. Um... And the very first segment of VHS uh, 85 actually is that sort of thing that I was talking about, where you have these seven friends, they are in a camper, and they're going to this uh, this lake, um, and there's, like, these signs that warn, the, uh, warn them, you know, you're not supposed to go swimming. And so, like, the entire time you're thinking to yourself, like... Um, Okay, so there's going to be something in the water. It's actually kind of a, like a really fun play on the uh, Creep Show Two segment. Um, I forget the name of the of the segment in Creep Show Two, but where where the kids go into the water and it's actually like there's a monster that's kind of like goop living in there. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like a really fun play on that. But like, so you have these uh, these kids. They go out on a boat. Uh, there, are, I think seven of them in total and like two of them stay behind on the shore and the rest of them um they get out on the boat and while they're out there uh you know kind of water skiing and learning all that stuff uh they start getting fired upon from the shore by a sniper and that to me is not only like super realistic but is very very scary the idea that like you're supposed to be having a fun time and you're out on the water and then all of a sudden your friends are being shot at and you're being shot at and there's no escape from that because you're in the middle of nowhere and this person is trained right on you that is a fucking terrifying idea like genuinely scary shit. Um, 
the ending of the segment kind of, uh, I don't want to say does away with that, but like the ending of the segment, it turns out that like the water actually allows you to live. And even to an extent, I think that that is kind of like an unsettling thing, like where you, uh, like the people who were on the shore, they're not brought back to life because they never took, you know, they never got in the water, but like the people that did, they come back and they have to deal with the fact that they're still alive even if they are like very fucked up like one girl's like jaw is just like hanging all the way off of her off of her head it's just barely attached um which is kind of like a funny visual gag but um like they have to deal with the fact that their friends are dead and that they're still alive and i think that that's a scary proposition like i I really think that that's something that's um like uh hard for people to deal with like survivor's grief is is very real or survivor's guilt not grief um but funnily enough that segment is followed up with like a a sister segment or like a sequel segment uh where this family is hosting a celebration in honor of their teenage daughter um who films the occasion with her cousin and they're all there to kind of like uh throw a party for her for uh, quote unquote like popping her cherry and the thing is is that um she Ruth is the girl who murdered and shot at all the people in the boat. And it's a really scary look at like how people specifically in the United States treat gun culture and how they're willing to die for uh, their ability to kill other people. It's, um really fucking harrowing it's really unsettling how these people treat the use of guns and uh i just i don't know i think it's a very very um nice closer to that kind of storyline segment um the there's two other ones uh that I feel like uh, I don't want to say that they're lesser, but like there's one that kind of like uh, is a it's supposed to be like a demonstration of like a virtual reality uh, type thing. Um, and it's it kind of uh, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It's almost like a like a uh, ritual, like a, a witch ritual ritual where they're trying to summon like this god of technology and i think that like it in some ways uh is again very scary in what it what it says about society and what it says about uh how we basically let technology run our lives um it is uh it's actually maybe my least favorite segment of this entire thing but it still is one of those like holy shit this is um very like 
of the essence and of the times, but also like is a thing that we could look back on with the context of, you know, technology advancing so rapidly in the eighties that like, it's like, Oh, they, they were dealing with this back then too. Uh, it's really, really interesting stuff. The, the last one that I'll talk about, and then we can move on from, from this was, uh, Scott Derrickson's dream kill. Uh, and it's kind of about this, uh, uh, detective who was getting these videotapes, of murders before they happen and it turns out that the the videotapes um are taped dreams from from this kid who's kind of like having psychic visions of the future um that premise alone on its face doesn't sound all that uh crazy but when you when you think about the idea of like what it says about stuff near the end and how the videotapes are shot very much like the Scott Derrickson also directed sinister. And so he kind of had that, I I guess in the back of his mind where like, um, these are kind of like the snuff films from sinister and it's someone like, almost like shooting their sort of like thrill kill type thing. And the way that they're shot is harrowing. It's scary. It's genuinely like creepy. And the, the thing though about it that gets really kind of scary. I feel like again is at the end you have, you find out who the killer is and it's this white guy and he is um, like, the reason that like he's killing these people is because the the woman at the beginning accused him of sexually assaulting her and stalking her and then the second guy was um uh the i think lawyer if i'm not mistaken um was the the lawyer of the person who was or of the the woman who had accused him and it's kind of about how cops abuse their power and about how like um you know white men can more or less get away with anything and it's it's scary again in a very realistic manner and i think that that's what made vhs 85 for me one of my favorite viewings of this 31 days of halloween challenge that i did it's just it's it really nails all of the scares that it's going for because the scares are real. Um, yeah, it's, it's really good stuff. Uh, VHS 85, I think is my favorite in this series. Um, and I, I think that, uh, if you like the idea of found footage and like the idea of kind of like bite sized, uh, things, VHS, VHS 85 would be a would be an excellent um, way to get into one of these things. Okay. Um, next up on the list, uh, I'm going to do a genre that uh, I am honestly not too fond of. Um, I'm going to talk about zombies. Uh, I'm just not too fond of zombies because I, I feel like um, a lot of the, uh, I guess 
a lot of the intrigue around them kind of died with um, The Walking Dead for me back in like uh, probably around 2014, 2015 when it hit its like fourth or fifth season. Um, it just kind of fell off uh, dramatically for me and I wasn't uh, wasn't really um, into them. I also kind of feel like uh, zombies are used to death as metaphors for other things. Um, Like, uh, for instance, the metaphor of uh, Dawn of the Dead is rampant consumerism. People are turned into zombies by buying stuff at malls and, you know, uh, what have you. And I think that that's, uh, like, to an extent, um, worn out its welcome. Uh, But... My favorite zombie movie ever, uh, if you can call it one, is 28 Days Later. Uh, 28 Days Later is the British zombie post-apocalyptic movie from Danny Boyle, uh, written by Alex Garland, who I I adore. Um, Alex Garland wrote uh, 28 Days Later, Sunshine, The Beach, Dread, um, and he uh, uh, more recently has done stuff like Ex Machina, Annihilation, and Men. Um, But this movie is one of the few movies in the zombie genre, subgenre, that I think is genuinely scary. Um, Not just because, like, the zombies move fast and they're ultra-violent and, like, they're not even necessarily eating you. They're just beating you to death. Um, and that to me is a very scary proposition. Uh, but like it also is a, I think very real look in many ways at, um, the, how do I want to put this like loneliness epidemic? Um, like I, I know that this, the, the whole movie actually stems from like the, I I believe it was like the foot and mouth disease, um, that, uh, was hitting Britain at around this time. Um, but I, um, I kind of think that the disease that is a little bit more, scary and and is hit on in the character studies or or like the kind of character study nature of Killian Murphy's character Jim is the uh, idea of loneliness and it's actually kind of carried out through several of the characters uh, including like Brendan Gleeson and like um, his character and the like his daughter. And there are other things in here too, that I think are genuinely scary. Like the idea that like soldiers, when, uh, the, when, when the, when the shit gets tough type thing, uh, people in, uh, places of authority will use that authority to hurt people. Um, I think that that, that's a very scary concept, uh, as well. Um, yeah, I just really think this is a really well-made movie. Even though it is 
shot on like these mini DV cameras, uh, and it looks very dated. Um, I really think that it uh, is more. I think that that dated nature kind of gives it more of a, an authentic feel. It almost feels like you're watching something that was real, uh, like people are like or like actually experiencing this. Um, and it's led by some really, really great performances. Like Naomi Harris is excellent in this. Killian Murphy is excellent. Uh, Brendan Gleeson, Christopher Eccleston, like just across the board is it's full of like really, really good um, performances. Uh, and it, like I said, it's, it's scary in more ways than just, Oh, zombies eating people. It's like, um, very much, uh, like I said, a character study that, uh, really provides, uh, a lot of, um, unsettling imagery and, uh, thought provoking sort of like scares. Um, very good stuff. Very, very, very good stuff. Uh, let's move now to... Uh, I, I kind of want to th- take a second to look at um, body horror, which has been coming into vogue again uh, recently. Um, so my pick for the the best body horror um, movie would be The Fly. Um, And I think that The Fly works on a number of different levels. Uh, For the record, I am talking about the 1986 uh, version of this. Um, And not the... Uh, was it 1958? Uh, 1957? Something like that. It doesn't matter. Um, anyway, uh, so this one is the one that is obviously um, kind of uh, the one that everyone thinks about. But like, this is the Cronenberg one. This is the one with Jeff Goldblum. Um, and uh, yeah, I... I really, really dig this movie for a number of reasons. Um, but probably the biggest one is that I, I think that a lot of what Cronenberg's um, work does is speak to societal ills of the time. And when... Uh, When you think about, like, um, the time that this came out, right, in 1986, uh, we're going through the kind of, like, AIDS epidemic. And in many ways, The Fly is a kind of, like, analogy for just, like, disease in general. Uh, Very specifically, I think Cronenberg has talked about how... um, uh, you know, terminal conditions like cancer and very, very specifically like just aging in general. Um, but like given the 
time period of the AIDS crisis and when this movie was released, I think that it's hard not to see that sort of parallel. And that's one of the things that makes Cronenberg uh, just in general like a really great like visionary in the horror genre, especially for his time. Uh, but like, it's what makes this movie scary is the idea that your body will fail you at some point. Um, your body will break down. And if it's with regards to AIDS, like, or cancer or anything, it is kind of a, like, you have to deal with your own mortality in certain ways. And I think that the body horror aspects of what Cronenberg was doing throughout much of his career um, kind of speaks to that in a lot of ways. And The Fly, for me, is uh, just the best representation of that as a general rule. Uh, Because there is a lot of heart in here. There's actually like a really kind of touching romance and like, um, you know, like really good characterization of things. Um, But like, it's also filled to the brim with this uh, kind of shocking imagery of like bodies disintegrating and, and things of that nature. And it's, um, uh yeah it's it's really good um and uh it's probably well it's arguably the best Cronenberg movie um and it's very arguably the best horror movie of the 80s uh yeah it's it's great um really really good stuff uh I don't know any other way to to recommend it it's just uh it's very good, very good. Um, okay, let's move to... Let's talk about werewolves. I brought them up earlier. Werewolves uh, throughout the horror genre have been kind of like... Uh, a in, in a similar way to uh, zombies have been metaphors for a lot of different things. Um, but the biggest one obviously is the, uh, sort of like, um, uh, what's, what's the way that I want to put this? Uh, it's been sort of a, analogy for like losing yourself. In a way, I, I I guess that's the best way to, to put it. I mean, there there are other ways in which it has kind of like manifested, but that's most of the time what uh, lycanthropy has been like uh, analogous to. Um. So my pick for this is. An American Werewolf in London uh, from 1981. Uh, This one could have actually also fallen into the horror comedy angle because this movie is uh, extremely funny. And uh, 
it's also, uh, I think, outright scary uh, in in a lot of ways. Uh, the basic premise of the film is that you've got these two American graduate students uh, that have come to um, the kind of like countryside of England to trek across the moors as a sort of, uh, I guess, like adventure for the two of them. Um, it's starting to get like nightfall and it's starting to ring. So they go to this local pub and the pub goers kind of grow hostile and have the two young Americans leave. And as they are leaving and crossing the moors, they get attacked by uh, a beast that they, um, you know, one of them dies and then the other uh, lives. And then eventually, you know, becomes the werewolf. Uh, The reason that I think that this movie rules for a number of reasons is because the whole premise of the movie, like the the rest of the movie, I don't want to, I mean, it is a movie from, you know, over 40 years ago. Uh, So you've had time, but I I don't want to, I'm going to get into spoilers because I have to in order for the, for what I'm about to say to make sense. Um, but basically the rest of the movie, uh, David, uh, is haunted by images of his best friend who died, Jack. And Jack is telling him things about like, Oh, you're a werewolf now, but like, you know what that means, right? You have to kill yourself because werewolves, they, they can't, you know, they can't be allowed to live or else things like what happened to Jack will uh, happen to other people. And this movie in so many ways is very specifically about survivor's guilt. Um, I, I, I kind of brought it up earlier, but it's very much David seeing visions of his dead friend, the carcass of his dead friend, and being reminded that he's a monster because he lived through the attack uh, is kind of like the whole the whole premise of the movie. And that's kind of like what it deals with the entire time. And it is very much a metaphor or analogy for that exact thing. Um, I love this movie maybe an unreasonable amount. I think this is maybe my favorite, like, I I don't know if I want to say it's my favorite movie of the 80s, but, like, it is one of my very, very favorite, like, horror movies of this era. Um, I adore this movie. I think it looks gorgeous. I think that the performances across the board are very good. And I think that some of the scares are very, very, very good as well. Um... I don't think that I was necessarily alone because it was made on a budget of like around $6 million and it ended up grossing $62 million. Uh, so it's, I mean, it, it made a, a pretty penny, um, but it is very scary. I think it is very funny in a lot of ways. And I think that the, the werewolf sequence or the werewolf uh, transformation sequence that's like about the middle of the movie is 
one of the all-time great horror sequences ever made. I, I really think that the makeup effects are astounding. Um, yeah, I think it's a fucking excellent time. Um, and uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Very, very good stuff. Um, why don't we kind of stay in the land of mythological creatures... And we will take a look at vampire movies. Vampire movies are, um, again, I think they have been, vampires in in fiction as a general rule have been very, um, very overused for metaphor. Uh, They've been used as metaphors for queerness. They've been used as metaphors for... Uh, like we talked about with the fly, with with um, uh, sexually transmitted diseases, uh, things of that nature. I think that they've been kind of like over. I, I don't want to say overdone, but um, it's something that like you kind of know what you're getting. And my pick for my favorite vampire movie is the Swedish film. Uh, Let the Right One In from 2008. Yes, 2008. Uh, It's actually based on a novel, so um, uh, it gets, it loses just a a little bit of points for that, in that regard for me. Um, But I really think that, like, when you look back at where vampires were, especially in this sort of era, um, there hadn't been a really good vampire movie, I feel like, since probably Blade. Uh, um, but even Blade is kind of, like, different in a way. I think that, like, the the last great vampire movie before that was probably Interview with a Vampire, which was 94. Um... And I think that it really, really knocks it out of the park with a a sort of like mix of really good storytelling, like really, really strong uh, visual storytelling, and also like mixing in like really solid scares and gore with it. Um, one of the things that I think, uh, one of the movies we watched again this 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 go around with the Thirty One Days of Halloween was the American uh, remake, uh, Let Me In, which I I feel like uh, really does a um it, it's a very strong metaphor for capitalism during the time and everything that was going on with the two thousand and eight. Uh, financial crisis um i think that it it is a lot more um outright uh cynical whereas this movie is i feel like very much like a um i i don't want to i don't want to say that it's a um sweet because i i think that there is like an undercurrent of sinister elements at work here but i do think that like 
it tells a story about like loneliness where it like society just allows people to feel left alone and feel left on their own and about lo how love can actually like help you overcome that thing. Like, I don't think that it's any, I really don't think that it's any sort of um, coincidence that this movie is set during winter and you have this child who is kind of left behind by his parents. He's bullied at school. Like you have all of these things that kind of like isolate him from the world. And then you visually all around him is nothing but ice. He's very closed off. He's very sad. He's very like just, um, I don't, I don't know how to, how else to describe it, but like, he's very cold you know, I think that there's no other way to really put it. And I I think that the idea of like a young love um, really kind of uh, helps that and really warms it up. And I think that like also around this time, if I'm not mistaken, you had stuff like Twilight starting, which was also another like sort of like young people romance with vampires um d don't get me wrong this is like eight billion times better than fucking twilight uh which i actually probably shouldn't say that because i've never seen twilight but the, the, you know it, it remains the the case that like i think that this movie is that it works really well with just about everything that it's trying to do um, it is very sweet. It is very, uh, uh, I, I don't want to say scary, but it is very, um, I don't know, uh, poignant maybe would be a, would be a good way to put it. Um, it is one of the best horror movies of the 2000s. Uh, one of the very, very best, um, maybe the best, is very good. Very, very good. Um, I cannot recommend it enough. I also recommend Let Me In if you, uh, if you want to see like a, a good cynical version of that. Um, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So that is. Uh, let's see. We did horror comedy, body horror, found footage zombies vampire werewolves so that's six we have four left uh, i'll try to knock these out as quickly as possible uh don't want to take up too your much of your time so the next one i think that i'm going to go with is alien horror movies and let's be honest there is not a better alien horror movie than 1979's alien um you already know this movie uh everyone has seen this movie and it is excellent just just plain and simple uh it's about you know this uh staff of um i i if i'm not mistaken they're like they kind of work on like a sort of like oil rig but like for space 
um, and they're making their way home. They get stopped by a distress beacon because they get woken up early. Um, and then they uh, incidentally bring an alien on board. Uh, yeah, this movie is... There's been a ton that's been said about it. Like, it's the Jaws in space. Or it's like a, a haunted house movie, but with an alien instead of a ghost. Um, all of that stuff is true. Uh, the thing that I think is probably, uh, the reason that I think that it's the best is it's, it's just scary. It really is like, there are so many things within this movie that feel like just transgressive in the best possible ways. Uh, I, I really, really fucking love the idea of people lying to you and that's your downfall as like a group of people, uh, which is kind of what this is. Like, um, Ash knows what the alien is and yet still allows it to be brought on board and still live. And he lies to the very real humans that are on board in order to make a profit. I think it's, I think that alone is saying a lot about it, but it's, it also is kind of in a weird way, a response to, um, the, uh, growing sort of like, I, I don't think that this is necessarily the case, but I can understand looking at it like kind of like as objectively as possible, but the growing sense of sort of misogyny within horror where it is the, uh, the women who are dying, especially when they have sex and it is the virginal, uh, sort of like, um, heroine who is the one who overcomes the monster or whatever like that, that is definitely something that was growing out of the seventies, uh, and, and very specifically started with, um, like, or, or grew massively in popularity with the uh, release of Halloween just the year before this. But I think that this is very much uh, having Ridley be the strong female um, type. I, I think that that speaks a lot to um, the uh, sort of, I guess, mindset of the... Uh, of the movie, it is definitely taking, um, you know, already established horror tropes and saying, uh, "Hey, this is this is actually um, not true." Like she's she's the badass. She's the one who, um, uh, you know, is the winner here. But again, there's there's all kinds of stuff in here, especially with like the idea of H.R. Geiger uh, being the person who kind of created the design and how his his sort of, like, uh, art played into this. Like, a lot of the stuff with um, his artwork is very sexual, and there's a lot of sexual imagery within this. Um, again, I, I, I don't think that it is really all that hard to... Um, kind of see the parallels between the 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 sex stuff here and then alien being a strong powerful female woman i, I just don't think that that's um 
necessarily a uh, coincidence. Um, there's all kinds of stuff in here, all kinds of stuff. I think that it is just filled to the absolute brim with psychological overtones, with uh, wanting to talk about uh, things like, uh, like I said, like sex, uh, or wanting to talk about things like uh, disease even. Um, yeah, I, it, Alien is just a master fucking class of filmmaking. Uh, it is brilliant. It's one of the greatest movies ever fucking made. Um, fuck the horror genre, just period. It's, it's one of the absolute best movies ever fucking made. Um, yeah, very... Very good stuff. Um, if you haven't seen it, fucking see it. It's excellent. Okay. Um, we talked about it just a second ago, so let's let's get into it. Uh, my pick for the slasher genre is Halloween. Um, there was a whole podcast I did on this uh, for Culture Pop Selects um, before that kind of went defunct. Um... I don't need to say much more than I said there. Halloween's one of the best horror movies ever made. It's my favorite horror movie. Um, it is so effective in how simple it is. The entire premise is man stalks babysitters on Halloween night. You can't get much more simple than that. And between the effective use of the score in this which is iconic like you can't not know what the Halloween theme is um, but from the use of that to the really beautiful cinematography with like the blues and the oranges and that fucking white mask that is just the like it's like the cherry on top of the fucking Sunday um you can't say enough about this movie. I I don't think uh, there, of course, is a lot to be said about the critiques of Halloween and how it kind of um, leaned into the misogyny a little bit, uh, or or it, even if it didn't, like it is in some ways responsible for that thing. Uh, it, you can't talk about how it had, you can't talk about this movie without talking about the impact that it had on the horror genre as a whole. Without Halloween, you don't have shit like Friday the 13th. Without Friday the 13th, you don't have shit like, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, like, the entirety of 80s horror cinema is indebted to this one movie from 1978. I don't think that you can get away from that. In any way, um, the entire uh, like slasher genre, you know, um, I really think that it also needs to be talked about how pioneering it was with what it was doing. This is one of the first movies to ever use Panaglide, which was like the successor or the the precursor to um, uh, Steadicam. I mean, it, was, it basically was a steady game, but they, they, it was a different thing. I, it's a long story, film history. Um, but 
like the use of that, the use of like ultra wide angle lenses to make everything seem like so much bigger than it actually was. The compositions, this movie is full of frames that you could take and they could be pictures that you hang on the wall. Um, even like the opening title just is, it's so simple, but like very effective where it's just a pumpkin. It's just orange, black pumpkin, you know, that's it. And as the camera kind of like closes in the lights within the pumpkin kind of go out, it's just, um, yeah, I, I can't say enough about this movie. I, I think that it is purely and simply excellent. It's my favorite horror movie ever made. Um, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Okay. Uh, we're down to our last two. Uh, let's talk about the one that um, most people, I think, would associate with horror ghosts uh obviously ghosts are uh and this can kind of be like the the sort of like tie in with haunted house films uh although i put ghost here very specifically because my pick here isn't necessarily about a haunted house although it is um but uh my pick for the ghost subgenre is poltergeist um, Poltergeist is a movie that I adore. Um, it is one of my favorite horror movies of the 80s. Uh, it is one of the reasons that I think I love horror so much. Uh, this is a movie that I saw continuously as, as a child. Um... Yeah, I, I, the, I think that this is part of the reason that I love Spielberg so much. This is very, this is very Spielberg. The scary stuff doesn't start really, really happening until about the halfway point of the movie. There is like, obviously some stuff near the beginning that kind of sets everything into motion, obviously, but like the movie really starts to get good and scary near the midpoint. Um, and I really think that a lot of the uh, movie is set up with family drama at its core. And like, I think that a lot of it comes down to a sort of like, I don't want to say commentary, but like it, it's very much looking at a very uh, I don't I don't know how to how to explain it but it kind of is taking a look at the quote-unquote average American family and then kind of like deconstructing that a little bit by saying well what happens when when you lose someone within that right it's it's saying a lot about that but it's also kind of in weird ways taking a look at like the american dream where 
the American dream isn't always really that great because the American dream can be corrupted by, uh, you know, forces outside of your control. This whole movie, literally the plot of this movie is you have this family who is at the, I guess, forefront would be the best way to put it, but the the forefront of um, this uh, housing community that, uh, you know, they refused to um, move uh, headstones from the cemetery that they, they you know, built over. Or, or not refused to move the headstones, but they didn't move the bodies, you know, they didn't move the graves. So they were very... Um, very much, you know, more concerned with, uh, the sort of like capitalistic intent of building houses as opposed to whether or not, you know, you wanted to respect the dead. (laughs) And in, in turn, that puts pressure on the family and their American dream of like having the house and the kids and the perfect family all because of someone else's mistakes um, I think this movie has a lot to say, and I think that it is very scary. It is that fucking clown scene is responsible for so many of my traumas. It's unreal. Um, this movie works for a number of reasons, not the least of which is Toby Hooper's Hooper's like just excellent direction. Um, I I love the the Spielbergian touch like you can see his fingerprints all over this he was definitely very involved he didn't direct this movie that that whole fucking thing is ridiculous people are crazy with that um but i think it would be undeniable to to say that his his fingerprints aren't all over this um yeah poltergeist fucking rules it is in in no uncertain terms, a very frightening movie with some very, very good visuals and a very strong core story. Um, very good stuff. Alright, we're down to our last one. And I talked about it uh, a little bit at length at the beginning um, I want to talk about possession movies because these have been sort of the bread and butter of the horror genre since The Conjuring came out in 2013. Uh, I mean, there are... You could make the case. I don't think that you should, but I think you could make the case that it, uh, even earlier with the uh, Paranormal Activity series because... Um, those movies they uh were ghost tales obviously but oh gosh uh but they also had the sort of elements to um uh to be considered possession movies uh, that's the best way to put it um Yeah, since 2013, I think I think that like uh, possession movies have become sort of the um, 
bread and butter of the genre. They just, they, that's kind of, um, where a lot of it has gone, you know? Um, that said, I think the greatest horror movie ever made and my pick for the possession movie is the exorcist from 1973. Uh, I think that the scariest movie ever made is the exorcist. Um, I think that this movie is scary. Even if you are not into the idea of like, um, um, religious things. I think that the stuff with Regan and the possession very specifically is very scary. I, I genuinely think that that stuff is just frightening. Um, but I think that there's so much more to the exorcist. Uh, it's a very strong family drama. The entire engine that runs that movie is not the scares. It's not the possession. It's the relationship between the mother and the daughter. Um, which is actually in, in some ways mirrored by the relationship between, uh, I think his name is Father Karras. Let me, uh, I just want to make sure that I have that right. Um, Father Jason Miller. He was, yeah, Damien Karras. Okay. Um, but the... Uh, it mirrors him and his own mother. And there are, I mean, there's so, there's so many, so many different things that you can take from this. But like the reason that it is scary, again, not just because of the possession stuff, is because in many ways, the stuff that is happening with, <sighs> excuse me, Chris, or, or not, sorry, not Chris, but well, I, I guess you could put Chris in there as well, but um, with Regan is that she is very much a innocent child who is being tormented by things. Um, whether you want to talk about the actual like uh, possession uh, elements there, or if you want to talk about the... Um, um, sort of like things that they talk about within the movie with like with results uh, or, or with regards to um, the medical uh, issues that they might be going on with with the uh, like psychological issues that might be going on with Regan like putting her putting her faith in medicine putting her faith in uh, religious uh, sorts of um, institutions, things of that nature. Like the whole movie is really about faith and what you put to to put uh, put your faith in. And there is just some of the most interesting and scary fucking sequences in horror movie history that aren't even revolving around the possession stuff like that angiography scene where they stick blood or they they put a needle into regan's neck and then blood spurts out like that is 
horrifying to watch. Like the scary part of that that entire sequence where she's going around and trying to figure out what's wrong with her daughter has nothing to do with the possession stuff. It has to do with like these horrific things that they're putting this child through and like how it isn't it isn't even like helping. It's not even helping the situation. It's not doing anything other than making the situation worse. I really 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 think that this movie is astounding i i think that the use of uh tubular bells um is perfectly employed here it's actually only in i think two scenes uh one in the middle of the movie and one at the at the very end um i think that it is uh, in many ways, similar to Poltergeist, responsible for a lot of the um, uh, I guess psychological scars <laughs> that I, I have as an adult. Um, it is easily one of the best movies I have ever seen. Period. It is easily one of the scariest movies that I have ever seen. And um, I really think that like The Exorcist in so many ways has become a sort of cultural touchstone for uh, American cinema. And has also in again many ways become a um touchstone in just popular culture um i don't think that you get movies like beyond the door or uh i forget what the leslie nielsen sort of like parody version of this is um uh let me look that up real quick what's the name of that movie uh, Leslie Nielsen, Possession, Repossessed. That's it. Repossessed. Um, I don't think that you get uh, that movie. Uh, I, I don't think that you get like all of these um, really, uh, I don't know. With a lesser movie, I'll, I'll put it this way. With a lesser movie, I don't think that you get people making fun of it for years and years and years. I don't think that you get uh, people trying to replicate its success for years and years and years. I think that this movie uh, is a touchstone because of just how excellent it is. I think it's... I, I said it before. I think it's the best horror movie ever made. It is absolutely horrifying. Um, I still, to this day, refuse to watch it alone. Um, and I don't really like watching it at night. Um, yeah, it is, uh, it's incredible. It's a very excellent movie. Um, one of the very best to ever do it. So, um, yes, that wraps everything up for my uh special 
episode here. Um, I want to thank you guys for listening along um, and just being here to converse with me. Um, we'll be back again, hopefully relatively soon, with a, uh, a regularly scheduled episode where we'll talk about video games and not just horror movies. hey Um So... With that said, uh, I do wanna I wanna give a, a very special shout out to our patrons who uh, make all of this possible: um, Justin Ruiz, Tani Sullivan, Jeffrey Ciarto, Bryn Woodham, Dylan Martin, and Austin Stevens. Um, seriously, thank you so much. Uh, the show literally would not be possible without you. Um, if you want to be part of the patrons, uh, Patreon. Um, you can go over to patreon.com slash c slash or no patreon.com slash culture bop. Um, we got some really cool, good stuff going on over there. Uh, we just finished up, uh, last month, I believe our tournament or well, not last month, not October, but in September, we finished up the Patreon exclusive tournament. Uh, the winner of that, uh, was control. So at some point, um, next year, uh, a control, a piece of media about control will, uh inevitably come out um i mentioned the youtube earlier uh i'm pushing very hard to have the final fantasy video done by christmas uh, i want to make that available to everyone um as a sort of thank you for sticking around and hearing me out um yeah uh this has been a long process uh we still got a lot of uh things to get right um but we're uh, i'm trying so uh yep uh that's gonna do it uh i don't want to take up any more of your time than i have to so until next time goodbye